Welcome to another episode of Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast about all things small business. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. And uh, just remind you, don't be afraid to tell a friend or a coworker about our little podcast here. Uh, we're hoping to get out good information to anyone who, who's uh, managing or owning a business that's got questions that maybe they'd be afraid to ask somebody or whatever. We're trying to cover a variety of things here. So don't be afraid to tell somebody about us. Um, if you want to learn more about uh, pri- prior episodes and things like that, you can go to growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. You can find all the links to Facebook and YouTube there. Uh, you can also send me an email at brian at brianlharding.com if you have questions or comments or if you want to be a guest or if you want to be a sponsor. Um, all that kind of stuff can be handled there. And uh, today I'm super excited to introduce to you our guest, Joanne Sandberg. Joanne is the owner of Rainier Kim Dry. And uh, if you don't know what ChemDry is, I'll tell you all about it here. ChemDry is the world's largest, uh, lead, world's leading carpet cleaner, operating over 2,000 franchises around the world. They also offer upholstery, tile and grout, fine area rug cleaning, and hardwood floor cleaning. ChemDry's mission is, to, is helping people live healthy lives, which starts with clean carpets and a healthy home. ChemDry uses 80% less water than a typical steam cleaning, uh, so carpets stay, they dry in hours instead of days, making it safer and more convenient uh, carpet cleaning choice. Uh, their proprietary hot carbonating extraction cleaning process. Holy smokes, that's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, it, but that penetrates deep into the fibers, giving a perfect chemistry for deep, thorough carpet cleaning that dries in two or three hours. Uh, their green certified solution, the natural, uh, contains no soaps or detergents, so it's safer and non-toxic for your family and pets. And uh, all this means Kim Dry cleans you, your health like nobody else. And uh, Joanne at uh, Rainier Kim Dry is offering some great summer cleaning specials right now. And uh, right now with the weather warming up, pet urine odor in the home is becoming more noticeable. So she's offering 30% off their pet urine removal treatment, which is 100% guaranteed to remove those embarrassing and obnoxious odors. You can call her office at 253-927-4496 for more details. So welcome, Joanne. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. And um, you have been a business owner for Rainier Kim Dry for 30 years nearly here, right? Almost 30 years now. And you're a second-generation owner. That's right. So tell me tell me about that. How did that whole, whole, whole thing get started? All right. Well, I'm going way back because I've owned it for a long time. Um, you know, when I grew up, I started in the, in the customer service industry. So when I was – I couldn't wait to get to work. I was 15 years old and almost 16. The day before I turned 16 – I was chomping at the bit to start working. So I went out and started applying for jobs, got hired at this great restaurant as a waitress. So that's how I started working. The day I turned 16, I I put that uniform on and couldn't have been happier to go to work. Right. Um, What I learned there was a couple of things. Number one, how to really deliver good customer service. Um, I just, I understood it. I understood cause and effect. If I delivered an awesome experience at that table, my little tip pocket became loaded right and so I kind of got the bug for that I kind of really thrived on how much could I stuff my pockets full each night so I kind of really loved to earn money at a very young age sure um also learned how to spend money at a very young age (laughs) which wasn't great right um so most of my you know younger years started in that customer service I went on to work at several other restaurants I would compete in customer service contests I'd win everyone I just understood it and loved it I really understood that cause and effect um after my waitressing days were over, I went into um, into finance. So I got into mortgages and collections and just different financial. Um, I loved numbers. My my dad is uh, an accountant, so I come from numbers. And then my stepdad was the entrepreneur. So I kind of put those two things together, and it became who I am. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, a great combination. So 
Um, I went into accounting for a while, um, worked at a few different financial centers, um, and I worked my way right up into the into the bookkeeping and then into the accounting um, and loved it. I decided if I couldn't stuff my pockets full of money, I wanted to count money. So yeah. just something about money was yeah. really exciting Touching to me. Touching it's fun, right? Uh-huh, it is. It's really fun. It just thrive. I thrive on it. So, um, so worked in that industry for a long time. Um, my parents had purchased the ChemDry franchise. So my dad, the stepdad, um, being the entrepreneur that he was, he ran across this franchise idea, this ChemDry. It was brand new back in those days. This was back in 1984, I believe. And he saw something that was different in the way that it dries so quickly. The two to three hour dry time really attracted him. And especially here in Washington state where we have a a lot of moisture in our air, um, we need that quick dry time. And when carpets were clean traditionally here, you'd have days and days of wet carpets, even now still, um, where the windows, you got condensation and you feel like you're in a rainforest when you walk in the room. Um, So when my stepdad saw this chem dry, he was immediately attracted to it. So he went to my mom and said, hey... I think I'm going to buy this carpet cleaning company. And she's like, over my dead body. I didn't <laughs> what? know. You lost your mind? Yeah. He's like, are you kidding? So she said, well, I'll tell you what. After he convinced her, she said, you do that. I'll keep my day job right. <laughs> just in case. And so he launched the business, and he did fairly well with it. Um, he went into more of the commercial side of things where he was cleaning apartments pretty right. cheap and competing on that commercial level um, and did fine with it. He grew it to three or four trucks and was doing all right here in the Puget Sound area. My entrance into it, um, um, my parents, I, I, I had been through a marriage and a divorce and had a couple of young babies at that time. My parents went off to the ChemDry convention. It was a cruise out in the Caribbean. Right. And Like all good conventions. Right. Like they should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and while they were out there, they asked me to stay in their home and kind of this, their home was where the business was. So they said, just kind of keep an eye on the house and the business, make sure everything's fine. I'm like, sure, why not? So I got there, and the day they left on Sunday, Monday morning comes, and I hear the phones downstairs ringing off the hook, and they're not getting answered. And I'm like, what is going on? So I run down there. The lights are out. There's quit notices on every desk. Oh, geez. And they they bailed. The technicians were out in the field working, thankfully, but the office girls bailed. Wow. So there we are, Monday morning, and here I am. So ship to shore, my parents, uh, we have a little problem here. Your girls quit. And my stepdad said, get on the phones, do the best you can. Right. So that was my entrance into it. So I got on the phones and just made up some pricing. I had no idea what he was doing. So I just kind of made up some stuff and started scheduling jobs and found out that I sort of started, you know, putting my customer service hat on and understanding numbers. And I started seeing some potential. So I just started booking these jobs and they were big jobs selling over the phone. Um, My parents get back from their cruise. I think it was 10 day cruise. So they were gone a while. Wow. And their books were full, their technicians were, big big jobs had been coming in, and they were like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So he, uh, my stepdad asked me to stay on, leave what I was doing, and, and come on and, and basically manage the company for him. So I did. And when was that? That was in 1990. Okay. Yeah, so I joined him in 1990 full-time. That was the, the last job I had. I, I've mm-hmm. always stayed with ChemDry since then. So 1990. But what I did realize is that I had the skill for this. I, I understood really high-end customer service. In carpet cleaning, that wasn't really a thing. I mean, you get a guy who knows how to clean carpet. He's out cleaning carpet. He's trying to answer phones in between. If he's answering phones at all, a lot of times they were going to voicemail. Right. Um, and I was in the office kind of, show, you know, in, fr- in 
in charge of the show. So I kind of started putting all these skills together and realized we were getting great response. I was selling well on the phone. I learned some upsells in my restaurant business. Right. Um, I, you know, learned that great, I kind of call it Nordstrom style customer service, roll the red carpet out. And people were responding really sure. big time. So we started growing it, and I also could see some avenues of revenue that my parents hadn't tapped into yet. And I started asking them, hey, why aren't we cleaning upholstery while we're doing this carpet, too? Right. We're in the home already. Why aren't we doing this and that? And he sure. said, well, I just didn't, I don't know. So he said, go ahead, bring it on. So I brought on this whole line of upholstery, and we started really marketing that. All of a sudden, his business had doubled from the time I walked in the door, and it didn't take long. It was only a year, year and a wow. half. Yeah. So he, um, my stepdad kind of got into some different ventures and things that he was interested in. And I could see his interest was leaving chem dry and I was loving and thriving. And so I got brave as a young, I was only 20, 27 or 28 at this time when this happened. And I had no idea how to buy a business or anything about that, but I just knew it was me and I knew it's what I wanted to do. So I got brave and I went to him and I said, listen, I know you're ready to exit. I'm in this thing, loving it, and I really want to buy it. Can we work something out? And he put me through a couple of tests. He said, can you fix this piece of equipment if it breaks? Because you're a girl, and I don't know if you can fix this or not. So he said, if you can show me that you can tear this piece of equipment apart and put it back together and it works, then we'll talk. So I did. Tore right. it all apart and put it back together, and it worked. Um, he said, if you can figure out if a van breaks down, what to do with it, then we'll talk. So I had to prove that. I. So he made me go through all these tests. And once I passed them all, he said, all right, I think I think you can do this. So we worked out an, a, an arrangement for purchase and ended up buying it. And I was that was in 1992 when I actually bought the thing from gotcha. him. Yeah, so okay. it only took me a couple of years from the day I walked in and found his girl's gone to the time I bought it was really just a couple of years. Wow. So it was a pretty quick entrance into well, it. Well, you know, a couple things there. First of all, you can't help but it, it's to notice your passion and enthusiasm. Can I, think that, yeah, <laughs> I can feel it. That's, uh, I think that's a pretty critical part of, of uh, um, for people who are considering buying a business or have a business. If you don't have that passion and enthusiasm, you can't fake that. You know, And if, if you don't have that drive to, to g deal with all the not-so-fun stuff mm -hmm. that goes along with running a business uh, – uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a long slog. It is, you have and to I'm love also it. super impressed to hear that your stepdad put you through some testing. It wasn't just like, well, you're the kid and we're the parents, and oh. yeah, well, here you go. Oh yeah. No. Um, I think that people can really set their kids up for failure by having a succession plan that just says, well, they're the children are gonna get it, and what, you know whether they're any good or not doesn't matter. Right. Um, I was kind of talking to Dean Paulson about this a couple weeks ago. He, you know, he he took over his business from his folks. And I was teasing him about, you know, the saying that the first generation builds it, the second generation grows it, and the third generation ruins it, basically, is kind of how the um, the saying goes. Um, sounds like that's not going to be the case for you. I because hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm second generation. Now, my son is is with me now, too. So he's a, a almost 30-year-old, and he's joined the team, and he's doing great. I'm hoping that I can eventually, you know, exit strategy, he, he steps in. So it would right. be kind of neat to have this as a third generation for sure, me. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things, you know, in, in doing our own succession planning at my company, trying to figure out all this stuff, um, the, the challenge seems to be as, as I get older and I want to retire and we want to bring somebody on to run the business and eventually take it over, taking over ownership and things like that, 
there seems to be a point there where there's just not enough money to go around. <laughs> How did you guys overcome that? Well, we haven't. He's just a manager at this point. Um, but we are working on a plan where there's going to be some profit sharing or actually what he's going to be doing is hopefully, if he if he wants to do this, is um, an investment. So he's going to be buying shares of it right. as we go through the next several years. So right. as he's working, um, we'll start paying him. Part of his thing will go into purchasing it. Sure. Um, so I think that's the best plan that we've come up with that should work um and and now we have two companies um and i'm hoping that he'll end up with both of them actually right so so you've owned the one company for nearly 30 years now um and then you started a new company in february this year Mm -hmm. another franchise right it is and that's delta restoration services um what prompted you to to take on a second baby um yeah that's uh actually i feel like i was um waiting for this opportunity for years. Um, Delta Restoration Services is a water damage, fire damage, mold remediation company. So we take care of any disasters that happen in homes or businesses. Um, we were kind of already doing some of this work under the ChemDry badge, the, the name brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've sort of been in it for a long time. Um, but because ChemDry is more known as a carpet and upholstery cleaning company, we weren't getting a lot of traction as far as a restoration company. Right. So we've been looking for a long time uh, for a way to divide off and division that out. So um, fortunately, our franchisor, so um, ChemDry is owned by a company called Harris Research. Mm-hmm. Um, Harris Research ended up buying the Delta Restoration Company. So it's the same parent company now. Okay, perfect. Uh, which was great for us. So we, we already know the franchisor. We love it. Um, Harris Research offered with ChemDry. Speaking of franchises, um, one thing that's different about ChemDry franchise from other franchises is there's no royalties. We call it the unfranchise. Wow. So we have a very, very low monthly flat fee. Um, and that's what I loved about that, yeah, that, that that's, model. That's unheard of, yeah. Mm-hmm, really unheard of. So um, that's good things and bad things with that because you can also be as big or as little. You can there, There's some wild cowboys out there doing stuff, kind of renegade. Um, I'm not one of those people. I've always followed their, their rules and their guidelines very strictly to, because I thought it was a great thing. But with being the unfranchised, it's a little looser than sure. <clears throat> other franchises. Um, but, yeah, so they I, I knew this franchising company already. We were, we were partners already. So when they brought on the Delta Restoration, it was an easy decision for me. We've been waiting for it and looking for it for years, and then they brought it on, so, so you, we bought. So you, you picked something that kind of went hand-in-hand with what you already did. It wasn't it wasn't like you you picked a roofing company or something no, no, like yeah, that. No, yeah, it, it really goes along. Mary with, Maids or some right, other kind of thing. It's not totally related different. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. So, so you you had experience in taking over a business and kind of growing it uh, over the last thirty years, and then now you have experience creating something from scratch. Something new. Uh, I'll bet you've got a, a whole bunch of stuff you can talk about. What What are some of the things that, uh, looking back over the last thirty years, what are some things that you can you can point at and say that went really well, and I'm really glad it went that way, or it was key for our growth, or what are things that you did that you're really really proud of that uh, that catapulted you to a level of success that if you look back and said, if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't be where we are. Mm-hmm. What, what are some things that come to mind? Well, first off, I think the biggest thing is just our want it. We had, I had a want it. Like I really wanted to be successful. I'm really competitive and um, you just have to have a drive, a really strong drive to be the biggest or the best or the provide the best customer service experience or whatever. It's just got to be, I think, an internal drive that you have. But also practices go along with that. So I was, I was, you know, of the opinion that we never say no to a job. 
we always answer our phones. Like I said, in carpet cleaning, a lot of guys don't even now, even days, and in restoration, which is really crazy to me with you have an emergency restoration company and you can't reach them. We did some shopping around for our competitors when we were thinking about this business. We we got a hold of maybe one company out of 10 on the phone. So to me, that's always been the different. I mean, we have always been live on the phones. I've always had a girl in the office or two or three. Now I've got five girls in the office answering phones live all the time so that we can capture every opportunity. So um, do you staff that 24-7 then yourself? No, we no. don't okay. now. Okay. We, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're there from 8 to 6. Yeah, um, okay. And then the, 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 I take that back, the restoration company, we are, we are manning those phones 24 gotcha. hours a day because that's the emergency. You know, it's funny when, as we, uh, you know, we keep, Technology is moving faster and faster every year, and people are gravitating more towards technology, likewise, faster and faster each year. It seems to me that the art of customer service is being lost because people are relying so heavily on on technology. They forget about how important it is to be available and to and to have even a customer service mindset. And 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 I'm I'm flabbergasted all the time, encountering all kinds of of situations uh, almost daily. It seems like and and. Um, when I talk about this stuff to our employees and, and give them examples of what I'm talking about, they, they tend to think that I'm just looking for this stuff. <laughs> but I, I, I don't think I'm looking for it. But it seems to me that people are just counting on technology and they believe that technology is the answer for everything. And technology is great. It's, it, they're fabulous tools to make it better for your customer and easier for your customer. Um, but it seems like people have this either-or mindset with it. And I, I just I constantly am, am coaching folks up on you know, you, you got to have both. You, you, Technology is great. It's great for folks who want to book an appointment online to be able to do that. But there's plenty of people who don't want to book an appointment online, and you mm-hmm. got to be able to handle that. And if even if they're booking their appointments online, you still have to have a customer service mentality. And I think, you know, for for most businesses, you know, you know, you look at Amazon. I mean, the reason they've grown so fast is they make it super easy for people to do things. There's no question. But they have a fantastic return policy also. That's right. And I think that uh, folks, you know, starting out or even building businesses that have been around for 100 years just completely fall in this trap of just relying on technology for everything. It's the, it's the catch-all answer for everything. And, and um, you know, the, the customer service is struggling. So my point with all this long-winded version of this is um, folks who still focus on customer service, I think, have a tremendous edge over folks that don't. And I think their companies are going to thrive much faster and much more successfully than, than people who just rely on technology to be the everything. Yeah, I agree, especially in an in-home service where it's very personal. Um, right. It, and it all starts with the phone call. You know, I, I spend a lot on marketing. I'm a big marketer. And, it, you know, I would be wasting that, that money if somebody on the phone didn't capture that job for me. So I just think it's really important that customer service, that personal touch. Yeah, you you have to still provide that. And, right. You have to understand that. And finding folks who are like-minded. Right. Uh, you, you can have the best carpet cleaning technician in the world, but if they don't understand customer service, it, it doesn't matter. That's right. And, you know, I, I talked about this with, uh, you know, coming from a plumbing background and, and things like that where um, trades people of all sort, I'm sure carpet cleaning is probably no different, um, people believe that once they've mastered the trade, that's all that matters. That's what people care about. Right. And I tell folks all the time, Nobody cares about the plumbing after we leave. Yeah, the, 80% of the plumbing is behind the wall or underground. So <laughs> they it. don't even think about it. They, mm-hmm. all they, if, you, if you were to ask people who you know, have a water heater in, in their garage, how, when's the last time you went and inspected the workmanship of the water heater installation? The answer is never. Exactly. But tell me about the experience you have with the plumber when they came out. Do they 
were they nice to your kids? Did they pet your dog? Did they smell? Did were they, they smell? on time? Yeah, exactly. Did they, did they were they did late? They, was yeah. the price way higher at the end than they said it was going to be in the beginning? All that stuff is the stuff they care about. They don't care about the plumbing. Right. They don't care about the carpet cleaning right. other than if they aren't clean, obviously they would care. Sure, but, but it's um, more about the experience. Folks, folk, people, customers care about the experience mm-hmm. way more than they care about the, 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 the skill or the trade. Exactly. And, you know, again, I think people kind of get hung up with that. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have a... A customer service driven mentality. I we think do. That's... And everyone I um, hire and train, we have a thorough training just on that aspect of it alone because that I know will be the difference whether we're successful or not. So we spend a lot of time. My girls on the phone are very scripted, uh, making sure that they're there to help and be happy to help, that they sound that like they're happy to help. Um, so yeah. It, do you have the mirrors in front of their? In sometimes front of... we do that yeah. experience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, we, we, I used to do this thing. Uh, uh, I still do it here and there, but, uh, uh, would put mirrors on the computer monitors with a note that said, can they hear you smiling? Can they hear you smiling? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then even in my scripts, I'll say, um, you know, one of the lines we use it three or four times in the script is sure. I'll be happy to help you with that. So I want the customer to feel that happy. We're happy that you called and we're happy. The last thing I want them to feel like is you're really bugging me. I'm yeah. trying it's to wash burden. my, yeah, you're a burden to me. Yeah. I mean, we, we got I was watch. having a great day until all this work got piled up on me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we have to be careful with that. So you focus on customer service and, and, uh, um, you're excited about that, obviously. Yeah. What, 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 and you have the drive, you talk about being competitive mm-hmm. and things I'm like really that. I'm really competitive. Um, I think that's what set me apart too, because there's, there's other chem drive franchises. So we're all independently owned. Um, I own 14 fr- franchise licenses in the Puget Sound area. Um, and that wasn't always the case when my dad had it, he had just a few and then, but I think to be successful, you also have to keep your eye open for opportunities. So I'm always looking around. Is there someone going out of business that I could buy their database and their equipment? Um, is my franchisor putting out a new offering for a new territory that might be opening up? So my eyes are always looking around for opportunities to expand and grow. Right. Um, and and, I, and because of that, I believe now I might be the largest chem drive franchise in the world. Wow. Um, with as many. Look yeah, at you. Right? With the number of licenses and vans that we run, I believe I'm the largest. And I believe that we are probably one or two of the largest carpet cleaning companies in the Northwest. I don't think that there's too many as big as we are. So, and I'm really proud of that because it's all you about. Should be. <laughs> yeah, I feel really, really excited about that. Um, but it's all because I'm looking for that opportunity. I could sit back and be happy with one or two, but it just wasn't enough for me. I really have this need to grow and, and um, succeed. Right. And that's So how do you, so as being a very competitive driven, mm-hmm. uh, passionate person, I mean, you're just exuding this as we're talking here. Uh, how do you, how do you deal with with employees who aren't that way. I mean, there's good employees who can be very successful who aren't competitive and who aren't um, this vocally passionate about things. How do you how do you maneuver through that where you're super driven and super competitive, but your workforce is probably 50% not that way or 80% not yeah, that way? Maybe or it is, yeah. Um, well, you know, being an employee-heavy company – which is getting harder these days to hire people that want to do physical label labor. But we have a couple things. They have to be good people. And so that's the first thing I look for when I'm hiring is what does their personality look like when they walk in the door? Right. Are they friendly to my girls in the front? Can they speak and look me in the eye? Do mm-hmm. they shake my hand? You know, I, so I always look for that immediately. Do they smell good? That's another right, test we right. take. Um, you're not actually like actively sniffing them, are you? Silently. <laughs> okay, uh, gotcha. They walk right. by, the girls are okay. like... <laughs> I'll ask them later. All right. Okay. How do they think? smell? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they also can't scare my girls. You know, if someone comes in the door and it, my girls are like, or if I'm feeling really uncomfortable, bye-bye. We, right. we just can't take that. You know, we're going into customers' homes and we're in their private space. Sometimes yeah. we're the only... We, 
we go in places in their homes that their they friends don't even don't let go. their friends yeah, go. The yeah. master bedroom and the master mm-hmm. bathroom are generally off limits for everybody. Yep. Yeah. So we have to be very careful who we hire. So that's the first thing is I look for personality when they walk in the door. I can teach anybody to be a carpet cleaner, but they got to have the right personality. Um, and I look for, you know, their enthusiasm level as well. And so I try to hire that kind of people. And in my office, of course, same thing. I'm looking for people who are excited and sound like they're excited. So, right. um, yeah, so that's that's what I really look for in people. And then the rest of it we can train. So they're... First, yeah, first thing that's, is that's something I preach all the time. You know, with folks who call and have questions about hiring, recruiting, and things like that, is you know generally they say, "Well, I'm looking for somebody who's got X years of experience in this," and I always ask them why. Why? Why do you care about the experience? And then, well, I need somebody who I can put in place, you know, quickly. Obviously, and I say, "Okay, well, to master the trade that you're hiring for, how long would that take to teach?" And the answer is usually 90 to 180 days. Mm-hmm. And I say, "Okay, so you got worst case scenario six months to train somebody to do this task." How long is it going to take you to train somebody to be on time and have a good personality and be trustworthy? Right. And the answer is never. never. You can't ever do that. So I always say, why do you focus on the, the talent or the skill? Um, obviously, they need to be talented. They have, need to have the aptitude to learn the job. But you can teach somebody to be a carpet cleaner in you know, whatever it is, three months, six months, a year, exactly. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it, you can't teach them all those other things. You can't teach them to be friendly. You can't teach them to be trustworthy. You can't treat, treat good work ethic. By the time they hit you, all that stuff is they are what they are. Exactly. You can't train that into somebody. They have to have good attitude and positive vibes and all that. Yeah. And that's, that's what so I, I look I, for. So I am constantly telling folks, and I, I sound like a broken record some of this stuff. I am constantly telling folks, stop worrying about the task. Mm-hmm. You know, If they're smart enough and they're, and they're driven enough, they'll learn the task. Yeah, as quickly as they're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, focus, on all the, focus on the other stuff. You know, you, the, the stuff you can't, you can't, you know, teach. And, and my, I always tell people my test for hiring folks is, um, would I trust pe- this person in my mother's house, or would I trust this person in a room alone with my 19-year-old daughter? Exactly. That's my test. That's if the answer test. is yes, I can teach everything else I need to teach. That's exactly what we do too. Yeah, same thing. I know we've talked about this before too, but that's that's the that's the most important. In fact, most people that come to me that have background in carpet cleaning, it's not the kind of ex- it's not what I want anyway. So I end up it hasn't been successful. The guys have come to me that have had you know the experience. So yep, it's all about personality. I can train the skill into them, but they have to have the right attitude and personality. Right. So we're we're cruising right along here. We're we're over halfway through. I want I want to um, for for the audience. Uh, you and I met, I don't know, two, three months ago, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, you gave me a call and said, hey, I want to just come and bounce some ideas off of you. Uh, first of all, I'm super flattered. You would oh. think I'm worthy of, of, oh of gosh, doing yeah. that. So that, that, that was fantastic. But um, why don't you kind of, in your own words, kind of recap for folks listening what that conversation was about, what what prompted that, and then we'll kind of get into where things are after, okay. afterwards. Two things about you, Brian, that, that um, caught my attention. While we were in our Ignite You networking group, we sat at a table together, and two things caught my attention. Number one uh, was how many employees that you have and mm-hmm. how many trucks you're running. I'm like, okay, plumbers, carpet cleaners, similar industry. Yep. How are you keeping them, and what kind of guys are you hiring? So we had that discussion. But number two was you said you're doing most of your business without much marketing, that it's um, right. word of mouth. Um, and so that's what, you know, those two things are what I was coming to pick your brain about. Sure. So I was really interested in that. I spend a lot of money on marketing, and, ha- and that's fine. And what's, I've done what's the industry average for you, 15%? 20, yeah, 20%? 15 to 20, 20 if we're in yeah. growth mode. Okay. Yeah, 20 yeah. is where I try to be because I'm always trying to grow. Right. Um, and that's fine. And so there's two divisions in my company. One is commercial mm-hmm. and one is residential. When I worked for my dad back in the day, I realized the money – where I wanted to focus was on the residential side, which you kind of have to have marketing for. But now what I was coming to you for was I'm really interested now in going back after the commercial industry and growing that division. That's more face-to-face sales. And so that's what I was coming to you for was how do you do that? How do you get out there and make those contacts? Um, 
face to face. So if I'm right, your thought was you were going to hire a salesperson, right? I thought about it. Right. Until you said, don't do it. Right. And, and I'm really glad you did because just like you said, I would never have known how to look what they, what to look for, how to manage that person. You said to me, move your tasks, your administrative tasks that you're doing off of your plate. Let someone else, you can hire someone else. And then you go out and be the salesperson because you're the front of the company and you've got more interest yep. and you know you're going to be motivated and disciplined to do that. Sure. So that's what I'm working towards is becoming that salesperson. Now, it's hard for me. I, yeah. I am not that kind of, I've never had to do it. I can sit behind my desk and market. So to go out face-to-face has been a real a real challenge, but something I really want to do just to come, you know, be, get, get over that. Fear. Yeah. So uh, let me just kind of recap a few, a few things there. So when you came to me, you said, I, I want to hire a salesperson. And I said, do not hire a salesperson, hire an operations person. You go be the salesperson at least for a year, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I told yeah. you. And the reasons for that, there's, there's a number of them. One of them is one of the things you just said, which is it's really hard. And if you are just an operations person who hires a salesperson, you, you lose sight of that immediately if you ever if you ever have it to begin with you can't have an appreciation for somebody having to go out and literally go door to door and sell carpet cleaning if you haven't done it yourself and so you have no way to 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 measure what the results should be you have no way to be empathetic with what they're encountering you have no idea what their day looks like and so six months in you're going to have spent you know 30 to 40 to 50 or whatever thousand dollars on this person and you're going to be sitting back waiting for your ROI to roll in, right. and you're going to be saying, well, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, having zero appreciation for what they're doing or even how they would do it, and then not having any idea for how you would do it. How could you possibly coach them on how to do it? How could you possibly say, well, this has worked and this hasn't worked or any of that stuff if you haven't done it yourself? And, um, uh, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 or whatever thousand dollars on this person, and you're going to be sitting back waiting for your ROI to roll in, right. and you're going to be saying, well, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, having zero appreciation for what they're doing or even how they would do it, and then not having any idea for how you would do it. How could you possibly coach them on how to do it? How could you possibly say, well, this has worked and this hasn't worked or any of that stuff if you haven't done it yourself? And um, uh, the reason I bring that up here today is because this is a pretty common thing that I encounter also where folks say, well, I'm just going to hire a salesperson and I say, well, based on what you're telling me, you're the worst person that could possibly manage a salesperson. Right, because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. And uh, um, it takes it takes a, a certain amount of discipline, like you said, to get up in the morning and know you're going to go out and knock on 25 doors, and 20 of those people are going to be pissed off that you're there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And you're and you and, and it takes a different a certain kind of mentality to to just accept that and and appreciate the five that aren't slamming the door in your face as victories. And then, uh, um, you know, the other thing is, like I said uh, to you before, I'm not sure if I mentioned it here or not, but um, it's going to take, you know, 30 day, 90 days to train somebody at least, you know, so they can at least get started. And it's going to take 90 days for them to fill their pipeline of, of even finding leads and things like that and, or, or you know, going door to door, whatever the process is. So you're six months in before you can even expect any kind of results. So now you're looking, okay, then once you're six months in before you can even start expecting results, now you need three to six months to, to measure the, the results to see if they're even a good fit. So you're making a, a $60,000 decision if you're hiring a decent salesperson. 60 grand is pretty cheap probably. Um, $60,000 decision, and you can't even measure the results for a year. Yeah. Why would you possibly do that? That's you can crazy. hire somebody to do the operations stuff for probably around that or less, mm-hmm. and you can go do the job, and you can learn how to do the job, so then you can manage the job later on. Um, you couldn't. I, I don't possibly think you could do it in the, in the reverse order. Yeah. I, think it would have been I mean, you, you have to be a, a million to one chance of hiring the right, right salesperson who could 
take that on and be successful. Exactly. Um, so where are you at with that now? So are, well, you, are you making sales? Are you out cold um, calling? We've done some practicing. You you said, which was great. You said, go do some practicing in areas that you don't care yep. that much about. Yep. So you go can kind of pick learn. a town in the middle of nowhere. Where yeah. if, you, if you don't get a sale, nobody's ever going to see you again. Right. Who cares? Yep. And then you can learn what their questions that they're asking, what their needs are so that when you go into a territory. So I'm still working on that. We're um, So hold on before we move okay. off of that. So just to clarify, so what, what I suggested was uh, like your territory is, what is your territory? Okay, so I, we have a big footprint, the whole Puget Sound, basically. Okay. We go from the north King County line, clear down to Thurston County, Kitsap County, Pierce County. So we gotcha. cover the whole. So you're covering 60 miles by 25 uh, miles yeah. or something like that, mm-hmm. 200 square miles, let's say. Something like that. So I, what I suggested was pick an outlying area, a small town or, or an area that it is not convenient for you to get to. So if you didn't get the business, it wouldn't be a big deal. Go out and begin making sales there or you know, making sales calls there because you need to learn what the three to five things they're going to hit you with when you walk in the door. They're going to have a set of questions that are going to be pretty universal that they're going to ask, and you have no idea what those are until you experience it. Don't learn that downtown Tacoma where that's <laughs> where you you're in your wheelhouse where you really have something to lose. Don't, right. don't practice with the people you really want to get. Go out in the areas they're outlying and, and uh, practice there. Learn those things. Get your answers down. So you know, can tell you, you know, when, you're, when you're cold calling and somebody asks you a question you're not prepared for, it's very apparent. Right. And you will likely lose a sale at that point. Yeah. And so um, that's why I say pick somebody you don't care about. You know, not that you don't care about everybody, but um, it's not. It's, don't go. Pick, don't go pick Boeing if you're looking for a big contract exactly. to go practice yeah. this kind of thing. Um, and then write those answers down. Get your answers. Or write the questions down. Get your answers down where you have them quickly right off the top of your head, and that way you're prepared when you go in. You know what they're going to ask before you even get there. Um, and so that's kind of what I was talking about with that kind of yeah. thing. And there's also the, the skill of practicing getting past the gatekeeper. That's that's the hard part right now, which we're working on. Um, but we're getting there. We're what we've made some phone calls, and we're kind of learning how to get around that um, that part of it. Um, it's all about relationship building, is what yeah. we're finding. It really is. And if you go in with the "I'm here to sell you something," it's right. people sense that, yeah. and they're so out of there. So it's more about, "Hey, I'm just here to introduce myself, meet yep. you." And so that's a much better approach that we're finding, um, and that's becoming pretty successful. We're doing that on the Delta restoration side as well. Delta is kind of going to be driven more by that type of face-to-face friendships and relationships. And so we've been out doing a lot of that on that side of things too. And it's it's all about relationship. Building. It does take time it does, to do that, yeah. so it's not immediate. Yeah, so um, uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. I don't remember who it was. Some sales guru said it takes seven bits of communication or mm-hmm. seven bits of contact to establish the relationship and all that kind of stuff. Um, this stuff does not happen quickly, um, but the return is is good. I mean, Once. you're you're so investing instead of investing twenty percent of revenue on marketing, you're investing twenty to fifty percent of your time to go out and establish these relationships, and you save the marketing dollars. But it there's still an expense still there. An expense, yeah. Yeah. But it's worth it, I think, it, for yeah. this division. I think there's different divisions that you just have to do that kind of marketing in. So that's what we're doing. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to working with you. You've made some offers to help me with that sure. a little, and we're still going to take you up on yeah. that. Um, but, yeah, it's coming. So have you gone to a cold call yet? Have you just gone to a, in a place you don't know and knocked on the door? Yeah, we've done. T- talk, walk me through that. I how mean, to, it's, it's go? you know, it, like I said, at first it was I'm here to sell you something, and I'm feeling re- – but once I kind of relaxed and got into it, it was like, no, we're not. We're just it was simply just here to introduce myself. Yeah. And it was so much easier for everyone involved. So, right. um, so that's the approach that we're taking. I'm just coming in and introducing. Here's my. Here's one little thing that we that is becoming successful. People have gotten away from thank you cards lately. Right. And that's a little secret sauce that we're using. Is when we get 
and get an appointment or, you know, meet with somebody. We even the, the gatekeeper will send her a thank you card. Just thanks for taking a minute to meet with me. Yeah. We really appreciate that. And we've had calls from that and jobs come in. Wow, I just got your thank you card. Thank you so much for that. I'm really glad to hear you bring that up again to kind of go. And I don't want to sound like a broken record. It no. goes into my my constant telling people technology is not always the answer. <laughs> yeah. You still have to have that personal touch. You still have to develop a relationship. And those are the kinds of things that not only has society just lost the knack for, for sending thank you cards in general, but in business applications especially, people just rely so heavily on the transactions right now. Technology is fast. Everything is now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the impact of you being the only person probably this year who will send that person a thank you totally. card and how much that is going to stand out for them. Yeah, we've done that. We've sent a thank you card and then gone back for our second contact a few weeks later. We've had them sitting on trophy cards, that thank you card yeah. that we sent out. I mean, it really it is It means meaningful. something to folks, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And, and, and I, I had a conversation with a, a young person three weeks ago, um, you know, a quote-unquote millennial, millennial. Mm-hmm. and I, I try to avoid these millennial conversations as much as possible <laughs> but I was t- I, my point was telling him um as screwed up as I think the generation is and again every generation for 3,000 years has said this so I, it's right. not a knock on millennials right. uh, uh I don't remember which uh, uh Greek philosopher uh had a quote that, talking about how the next generation was so screwed up and it was literally 3,000 years ago so yeah. uh, this is not a knock on millennials pr- specifically right but I was telling this person for their generation, there are things that, that they do as generalities speaking um, that annoy us, <laughs> annoy the older yeah. generations, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, if you can lock in on the three things that the, gen- are the generation you're going to be reporting to, your boss is going to be a generation who cares about these handful of things. If you can focus on being good at those three things, you will stand out compared to your peers and you will move through, you'll be promoted much, much quicker than your peers because you you just have to know that's the person who's making the decision cares about these three things. And if I'm going to focus on being good at those things, even though it's not in my nature to do that, you'll, you'll stand out like crazy. Same thing with the, the thank you card. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine they're going to get more than one, maybe two this year. If that, yeah. You know? Yeah, I know. It's really unique, and, and people are really responding to it. So I think that's a great thing So I think it's a, it's a critical – the reason I keep going back to it is a critical thing that's one of the things I've always told folks is you have to find something that you're good at in your industry that nobody else is good mm-hmm. at. And in plumbing, it's super easy because plumbers suck at lots of oh. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of those things that if you can, you found a, a way that people are going to, this is your thing. That, that's fantastic. You're going to stand out in a way that money, marketing can't buy that, technology can't fix that. Mm-hmm. You have found a way to, to stand out in a way that your, your competitors likely are, if they're not even answering their own phones, they're exactly. not going to be they're doing thank you cards. They're not going to be doing that, yeah. <laughs> So that's awesome. That's yeah. going to be, that's gonna be so a great thing. I think that'll work. Um, you know, those are into small offices. I'm still looking. How do we get in those big, bigger, you know, where we've got lots of square footage to do carpet cleaning in or VCT or whatever tiles. So right. those I'm still working on um, how to how to get into those. So but. you're sitting in the car. You pull up to the first place. What's what's going on in your mind? You got the get the butterflies yeah. and you got all this stuff yeah, there? Yeah, you do uh, until you get past that and get used to it. But, yeah, yeah. it's kind of scary. But, yeah, once you get used to it, and, again, you just keep in mind this is not a sales call. Right. Because that's where I'm really uncomfortable. Sure. But I can go in and meet someone and say hello. Yeah. I mean, that's really easy. One of, one of the things that I, I, I tell folks when they're making cold calls is, again, nowadays we're so hung up on a transaction and making a sale mm-hmm. and we're tracking this and we're, you know, our KPIs and ROIs and blah, 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 blah. Um, if you're making a cold call, you're just there to introduce yourself. If they express an entrance, set an appointment to come back and then talk to, about, to them about whatever it is you want to talk about, you can't possibly think to be successful trying to close a sale in that moment. No that is not your goal. If you go in with that mindset, you're not going to have any success or limited success. Right. Um, you got to walk in there again just to introduce yourself. You obviously have somebody for this task. You've been using somebody, whether you've used them once or 37 times, you have somebody for this. 
we're just here to let you know there's an alternative. I care enough to be out here introducing myself. Um, here's some things we're good at. If you're happy with who you have, we'd love to be a backup or whatever that conversation sounds like in your particular industry. And if they have some, if they show some interest, then say, hey, when, when's a good time for me to come back and sit down with you and I'll you know take 10 minutes and kind of explain to you what, what we're offering and you can decide if it's a good fit for you. Not making a sale. I'm just literally giving you information and you can decide if it's a good fit for you. Yeah, very simple. And, that, that and that's a much different approach than yes. walking in trying to, trying okay, to. here's our 30% off sale. Exactly. And if you sign today, you get an extra 10% yeah. on top of that. Yeah, and, that's yeah. never going to work. Right. So you, you did a handful and you felt, mm-hmm. you felt pretty good about yep. it. And, so um, now we're yeah, getting ready to do a lot more and get... I don't know. I feel like I need a little bit of scripting for that next next step, yep. you know, uh, the second visit. Or if they do show some interest, that's where I kind of need to work on the sales sure. approach, you know. So Yeah, so one of the things that, that I would recommend is, is um, if you do feel get the sense that they have some interest in what you're, what you're offering, um, ask them, what's the best way for me to follow up with you? Because uh, some folks like emails. Some folks want to chit-chat in person. Some folks, if you don't just walk in randomly, they're, you're, they're never, you're never going to catch them. They're never going to make time for this. And I think people, by, by and large, are honest about that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then you walk out to your car and you make a note. I need to send an email in two weeks. Or I need to just pop back in in a month. Or, um, you know, the first week of the month is not good for this industry because of whatever, you know. Right. Um, apartments is a great example. If you walk into an apartment complex the first week of the month, no, they will, they'll, they'll lynch turning. you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Where they got everybody moving in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you'll learn that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you'll learn, you know, restaurants you can't go and see at lunchtime. Right. You, know, you better go at 2.30 in the afternoon or 10.30 yeah. in the morning. Slow time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, good. I'm glad that's working out yeah, for you. So I've got a long ways to go on it. And it is, like I said, that's my challenge, my new goal, my new thing I want to accomplish. But yeah, it's, it's going to, that's what I'm working on. Yeah, so that's fantastic. Thank you for your yeah, advice. Of course. On that. No, I'm helping. glad to help. Yeah. So, um, look, aside from that, looking back, what are some, what are some things that you, you look back and go, holy smokes, I wish I would have not done this or this almost cost me everything or, okay. um, what are some things that you can just look back and go, good grief. I would never do it that yeah, way again. Yeah. We have a saying absentee owner equals absentee business. Ah. And that was a big deal for us. So, the, you know, 30 years is a long time to run a company. And I, we got, we were, we were rolling in the money and things were going great in 06, 07, you know, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about where the lead up is going yep. here. Um, and I wasn't very disciplined in the way I spent money and saved money and financed things, I guess, back then. Um, and so we weren't quite prepared for the 08, 09 crash and it crashed. We didn't, you know, we were okay, but I mean, it definitely hurt us. We had overhead like it is 2007, but it's not anymore. Right. Yellow pages stopped working. The, the typical marketing stopped working at that same time. So we kind of went into that crash pretty hard. And um, I got discouraged and I got depressed and had some other personal things. My mom got ill and just some different things. And I thought, oh, this would be just a great time to walk away from my company because that's going to help, right? Right. And we did. We moved. Um, we decided to move to Phoenix for a few years. Um, I was from Phoenix and just wanted to go back, and I just thought this would be a great time to do it. So, dumb. We we left our business in the hands of a manager. Yeah. And the manager was okay, but he, obviously they don't have the same interests in the company that you do, right. and they don't care as much. Yeah, if the company folds, they go get another job. That's right. It's no <laughs> nothing on the line for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And so we left. We were gone for five years in Phoenix while our company up here kind of suffered hard. And we lost over half of our revenue during those five years. Wow. And so it was pretty painful. But like I said, our overhead was still at that high level. We had contracts and things we couldn't get out of with sure. different advertising sources and things. Right. Um, so we decided uh, painfully that we, we had to move back and get back in our business. We, we did. And it took two years to get our business back. So it really cost us h- hundreds of thousands of dollars to just go we're out of here. We're walking away from this. Good luck right. to our employees. 
um, worst move we could ever make. So I really feel like owners have to be involved all the time, even if it's not the day-to-day task, but you have to be there. You have to, they have to see you. They have to know you're still watching and caring. Right. You set the tone for the company anyway. So if my vibrance is missing from my company, it's not going to operate the same as it would if my, you know, energy is in there. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, um, that one of the things with absentee owners and I've worked for some, mm-hmm. um, varying degrees, yeah. you know, I've worked for a large national company that, you know, we didn't even know who the owners were. They were shareholders essentially. Yeah. Um, if, if the owner of the company doesn't have a face, doesn't have a personality, they can't feel empathy for what I'm going through. They can't understand the strife and the hardships I have. They can't help me. They can't help me celebrate success, and they can't help me work through failures. And I think that has an impact on employees. That um, if I'm just working for this entity, yeah, um, how could you possibly be loyal to that? How could you possibly care to the level that you would hope as an employer people would care? Right. Um, if you're, you know, it's, again, a saying that's probably thousands of years old. If you're not willing to walk a mile in a person's shoes, how could you possibly relate to what they're going through? That's right. Um, so I think that aside from, um, you know, people worry about being micromanaged and all that kind of stuff, but I think the owners do have to, they have to be there on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be every day, like you said. Uh, and people, I think, understand that as you old, you know, mature and, mm-hmm. and you, and you get older and things like that, and you're in your sixties or whatever, you're going to take some time off. You're going to sure. be gone for a couple months a year. Probably I, I got talked to a business owner Saturday night. Own a business for forty years. He's like, yeah, you know, my wife and I do. We take two and a half months a year now. Yeah. They're they're seventy that's years fine. old. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Know? And even he's concerned about it. Is that too much? And he's right. seventy. He's right. Saying, I just I feel like I can't unplug. Um, and so it, it it's it's hard though because as you do have some success and you have layers of managers and you've got um, things can more or less run on autopilot. It's hard to stay checked in. Yeah. It's hard to find things to do that. You know, because as your role changes and, and you, you know, an owner, an owner's role is different when you're, you know, like you started a company in February. That's a much different role than, yes. than I've been running a business years. for 30 years. Yeah. Um, you delegate more and more of those tasks. It's hard to, to check in and be disciplined enough to do things that don't have a deadline of tomorrow or, the, or this afternoon or next week or next month even. Mm-hmm. The things you're working on at that point don't have deadlines. If you do it, great. And if you don't, nobody's going to know except for you. That's right. <laughs> it's so it's true. Hard to, it's hard to stay checked in. Yeah. So you have to find ways of things. And I think that's why this new challenge for me to go get commercial clients. I don't have to do that. Right. Our company's fine without it. But it just gives me a new investment in the company, something to get excited about, something to get my team excited about. So right. I think you got to look for new ways to challenge yourself all the time. Yeah, you have to have purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so that was a, that a, was a one, blunder. One big, yeah, expensive. And, five and years. at the worst possible time, it sounds like. Yeah, it was you, terrible. You check out in two thousand eight, and then all kinds of fun things happen in the next timing. couple of years anyway. Yeah. yeah. So luckily, we we overcame it. Kim drives very forgiving, and it forgave me, and we we rebuilt it, and now we're back up to where we were. Um, let's see a couple other mistakes I've made. I would say is keeping employees too long. Okay. Uh, maybe keeping in a bad employee where you know in your gut it's just not going to work, but you're like, eh, maybe. And we've spent a lot of money training people that we knew in our gut immediately wasn't going to work. Yeah. So I would say if you've got employees that you just it's just not coming together, don't just cut cut bait. You know, just do it sooner than later because right. it's going to save you. We've spent many tens of thousands of dollars on employees that just only tens of thousands in thirty years. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot more than that. Yeah, which is which is over a hundred. Probably is. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, you always hope that they're going to just turn the corner and then, but you just know in your gut they're not going to. So we learned, again, the hard way, just get, just do it. Yeah. Cut the, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that I, I tell my own managers and, and my, my peers, my, my 
partners and things like that and other people in different industries. One of the things I learned a long time ago from a really good mentor of mine, um, the person that you're trying really hard to keep is probably not any more happy than you are. That's true. And we're all, in, we're all, you know, I hate to use the word entitled nowadays because it's got such a negative connotation, but we're all entitled to happiness. Yeah. Nobody should have to be going to work and be miserable every single day. That's right. So, you know, just because this person is here doesn't mean that, that they're happy about being here. And if we're unhappy with them, they're likely at least that unhappy coming in. Give them the ability to go find something that makes them mm-hmm, happy. Makes them happy. And, I, and right. you know, part of that's probably, you know, him wanting to sleep at night, you know, having fired hundreds of people probably in his career because, he, you know, he'd been in the industry for, in the industry, not, not plumbing, but he'd been in the industry for 50 years that he was in. Literally, probably had fired hundreds of people, and maybe maybe part of it was to help him sleep at night. But I think there's a piece of that that makes sense. That if you're really trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, it's uncomfortable for everybody. For everybody. So stop this notion that you're doing them a favor by keeping them. Maybe. Yeah, they're they're going to be happier going to find something that's a better fit. Yeah, if you really keep your mind that way, then that makes it a lot easier. Because I'm I'm so empathetic. I just feel bad. I'm going to let him go. That's terrible. But you're right. It's they're not happy either. So there's just no way, rip no way, off the band aid. There's make no it way that they can come in and have that anxiety around them and not feel it. Yeah, there's that's no way. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's very true. So, so kind of what's your? I mean, you can't have a you know after 31 days we let him go. It can't be no. like that. But what, what what's your kind of? How do you know when? And you say don't keep him too long. How do you know when it's time? I mean, we our training is a long period, but I can we can always tell within a couple of weeks if they're going to yeah. make it. Really, a couple of days, honestly. But yeah. yeah, we always give them at least a week or two just to see, you know, if it's nerves or if they're just new. Or, but again, it's usually why we get rid of them is personality, yeah. you know, and and that was a hiring mistake, really. So, um, if they, you know, I'd say a week or two max. Yeah, yeah, um, that's kind of that's kind of our. Yeah. Within two weeks, we we know. Yeah. And again, we can depending on how desperate we are at the time, we right. can we can say, well, let's give another couple yeah. weeks. But I cannot honestly look back and in the last five years look at somebody who say, okay, after two weeks we kind of knew, and they changed our mind. Yeah. three weeks later, I just I've had one guy in my whole thirty years, and we've probably employed a thousand people in thirty years, right. and I've had one guy that actually did turn around, and so that's the one I'm always like, well, what about that guy? Yeah. He made it. Oh no, yeah. they don't. Yeah, the one, odds are really yeah one percent chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're hanging on to. Really right. low. So, so uh, anything else you can think of that, that looking back that you would you would want to uh, pass on to folks? That well, I would say you have to be adaptable too. You know, because I've been in it so long, the yellow page stopped working. Right, internet came on. I was slow to adapt to the internet. I hated, you know, IT and all that, and it took me a long time. So that hurt us a little bit. Right. Um, I'm slow to adapt to millennials. Um, that's been a whole new learning curve for our company because I'm old school. My dad cracked the whip. We cracked the whip back in right. the day. You can't. You can't treat. do that now. No, yeah. no, no. So adapt. Adapting to just speak millennial, we, we, we always say we have to hire a manager or we have to be very good at speaking millennial because um, it's a whole different language now and the way you have mm-hmm. to treat them and speak to them and manage them is totally different. But that took me a long time to adapt to that as well. So It's funny. I had this conversation with there's one of our managers specifically that I, I have many conversations with this like uh, about millennials anyway. And and he's very old school. He's very rigid and how he, he's very, you know, checking the boxes when you're, as you're doing tasks and things like that. And I keep telling him, it's on us to figure this out. Uh, it's it's better now than it's going to be in 10 years. Yeah, true. <laughs> so you, so you, should be, you should be enjoying the moment now because 10 years from now, you're going to look back at this and go, I wish it was wish that it good. I wish it was that, yeah. So we have to, we can't, we have to change how we we're approaching things if we're going to be able to employ the number of people we have to employ. So mm-hmm. it's not up to them to conform to our mm-hmm. needs. It's up to us to conform to theirs. Yeah, which is a really backwards way of thinking from where I grew up, you know. Yeah. I, like, no, You would never say that in 1967. No, no, that would <laughs> or never Or 1987, fly, yeah. Even, yeah, even in the 90s, really. So, yeah. 
yeah, so that's been a real learning curve. But they're great. Millennials are fine, mm-hmm. and we love them. But it's just you have to learn how to manage them differently. So right. that's I heard a statistic uh, this, this weekend that I was at a, a, a state plumbing conference or convention, and uh, um, somebody was there talking about HR. And, and, you know, we didn't harp on millennials, but it, it did come up. And they said that um, a millennial, if they commit to a year with you, that's a serious commitment. And if you look back two generations, they would commit forty years. Forty, yeah. Um, and so that's that's the world we have to work. We live in, mm-hmm. and and you and I can't overcome that. We mm-hmm. can't change that. Nope. It is the way it is, right. and we have to conform to that. Yep. And, and it's the, scary as hell for it most is of us. for our industry where <laughs> it's so heavy um, labor yeah. intensive. You know, it's that's that that's scary looking down the road. Like where does this go? Yeah, and yeah. and we're in a trade where it takes four years to get a certification. So <laughs> exactly, how can you possibly ever meet that? that requirement but right um so so you talked about yellow pages um yellow pages in the internet was kind of a kind of a fun depending on how you look at it fun or not so fun dance right you know in 2001 yellow pages were king still Mm -hmm. even though the internet had been around for six years or whatever um the company i worked for did triple truck ads i did double trucks (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so three pages of ads consecutively which i never understood the, the logic behind that but that decision was made way above my pay grade right. but um and then you fast forward to to 2011 and the the yellow pages were on life support then yep. mm-hmm. and now they're they're gone right. i mean they're they're pretty they're, much y- gone you can find them here and there yeah. if you if you some older communities will yeah. will still use them now and then but so there was this really tricky period from like 2005 to 2010 yeah. or 15 even where you didn't know where to put your money Mm-mm. because some yellow pages were still people are still you know some, somebody who's seventy years old who needs, still needs a carpet clean right. they're not going to get online they're right. going to try to find a yellow right. page but they're really expensive so yeah. how do you we had a hard it time it was an with interesting that. dance we all had to go mm-hmm. through and pr- for me my company made probably years too yellow pages was where most of our business came from like let's face mm-hmm. it that was our main source of marketing so when that stopped working and it kind of was sudden i mean if you yeah. look over the time period it was pretty sudden so it, but and then the internet is so you you can't just buy an ad in the internet like back then at least you know you can yeah. do some things now but like you just had to rank and if you didn't right. rank and you didn't know how to rank you were lost. So we, we were lost after being this big, you know, we were the leader in the, in the yellow pages with our big double trucks and all that. We, we ruled. Yeah. And then, yeah, so it was a really hard transitional time. We ended up with years of contracts signed, and that's where when the crash happened, it was really painful because we were still in those uh, big, long, year-long contracts yeah. with yellow pages. Yeah. But, yeah, so you had to learn new I know of at least one very large plumbing company, large regionally, that that nearly bankrupted. Mm-hmm. It almost it, did us too, yeah. honestly. I mean, it Th- those, took us those contracts. Uh, they had a contract with a, of you know, large national uh, yellow page right. and phone provider company, and uh, <clears throat> as things declined very rapidly in two thousand nine ten, they still were on the hook for those big yep. those big they marketing do. dollars, and yeah. and it it almost took them out. And they're so they're the, you know they're twenty million dollar year company. Right. Yeah. It was very painful. One the one thing that we did during to survive that time, I'll share this little secret, is we went to our database. And that's when we started marketing the crud out of the database yeah. because yeah, they were already, you know, we already kind of was anyway, but that was where man it was survival. So we had to really step that up. So. Right. Well, I can't believe you've flown through an hour already. Wow. You are you are absolutely a treat to have oh, on. Thank I hope you. you'll come on again. I would love to. Um, you had probably twenty five bullet points mm-hmm. here, and I think we got to two of That's them. Okay. So you got lots of stuff <laughs> for more. next time if you're willing to come back on. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to have you sure. on again. Um, so thank you, Joanne Sandberg, and she, again, she's with Rainier Kim Dry and also Delta Restoration Services. Uh, you heard that they cover the, pretty much the entire Puget Sound area. Um, I'll remind you guys listening. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor us, you can reach me at Brian at BrianLHarding.com. 
Next week, we're going to have on Dr. Michelle Marconi to talk about her chiropractic business in Tacoma. And uh, so that's all for today. Thank you again, Joanne. I really enjoyed having you on. And we'll talk to you all next week. All right. Thanks, Joanne. Let me win.